Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Greetings. This is Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation, where we help leaders build synergy with their teams around the vision that you have for impacting people's lives. And talking about impact, today's story is just amazing. I've never heard of this company, never heard of this guy, but he found us, and we're going to let him share the story, um, which will really touch your heart and help you rethink what you're doing. And uh, I think you'll be glad to learn about it. Luke Mickelson, tell people about you and then about your project. Well, of course, and thank you, uh, Hugh, for having me on. Um, yeah, my, my name is Luke Mickelson. I'm, uh, I tell everybody I'm just a farm kid from Idaho. I grew up in Idaho, small town, Idaho. You know, and um, and I, I, I've been married. I've got six kids, um, <laughs> you know, living the dream like everybody else. And, uh, uh, and, 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 and I will say that... Um, you know, as you hopefully get to know me a little bit better um, and, and the people that we work with, you know, the, that's the one key thing about Sleep and Heavenly Peace is we're just made up of a bunch of bunch of do-gooders, really. Um, and I knew growing up in my small town, uh, you know, we relied on each other. Being in a small town, I, you know, uh, my school was very small. I played all the sports that I could, um, coached later on in life, um, served in my church callings and served a mission um, for my church back in the day. And, you know, I just really enjoyed service, which um, be, being raised by a single parent, my mom, um, I, I learned a lot of the benefits of serving others and the joy that comes from that. So I always kind of enjoyed that, uh, especially with kids. You know, I was a Boy Scout leader, and that's really kind of where Sleep in Heavenly Peace started. Um, you know, back in my small town, I learned of a family that had kids sleeping on the floor. And I'd never really heard of that before, you know, especially on an ongoing basis. Uh, and that was the situation that that this family that they were in. The, the local school bus driver, um, the father was suffering from some mental illness, couldn't hold a job. And so they were living in, you know, pretty hard times. Um, and their kids didn't have beds. So I, the, the fact that I heard when I heard about that, it just it just struck me. You know, I have kids of my own. They were young at the time. And I just couldn't think of them spending uh, multiple nights, weeks, even years on a hard floor with just a blanket. Um, so I, it just struck me that there's something that we can do here. And, you know, at the time, being a leader with the Boy Scouts, I thought, here's a great opportunity, Hugh, that I could take these kids and get an Xbox controller out of their hands, you know, and put a drill in it and let's, let's teach them how to, how to do something for fun, let alone, you know, the joy of, of doing it for a child that's in need. And they took right after it. It was really amazing to see. It's not easy getting 12 year old kids to focus on anything that, other than their screens nowadays. Um, and it was just a really amazing uh, thing to watch these kids knowing the impact that it was going to and the, and the solution it was solving, how they really took after it. Um, but when we were all said and done and, and delivered to bed, I, I didn't get to go on the delivery. Uh, unfortunately, I had to stay back and clean my garage. It was beginning of November. It was cold. And, you know, I had to clean my garage so I could park in it. Um, and, but the next day at church, I heard how amazing the story was um, of the kids and their parents as they delivered this bed to this family. 
Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, it was early Christmas. My kids were complaining about the presents they knew they weren't going to get. I missed out on that opportunity. And my life at the time was just kind of a mundane, going through the motions. I needed to find something. Um, it just perfect storm hit me. I, I got up off the couch one night um, after that after that experience and said, you know what? I've got some ex extra wood in the garage. I'm going to take my kids. I want to teach them the same thing I taught these Boy Scouts, the value of service, the value of giving back, and the, and the joy of building things and the joy of working together. So we went out in the garage and we built another bunk bed. So here I had this bunk bed, um, had no idea what to do with it. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know any other family or other kids that were sleeping on the floor. I didn't know that that was even a problem. And so, uh, you know, I, I set to Facebook trying to find, uh, I put a post out saying, hey, I've got this bunk bed that my family have put together. You know, we're trying to give this as a Christmas project to another family that have kids that might be sleeping on the floor this, this holiday season. And I really wanted to give it to a child. And, uh, and I was really nervous about you know, sending a free bed on Facebook and never knew how many people would, would jump on, on board of, of a free bed. Um, and although we did get quite a few people that were interested or, or asked for help, the shocking thing was how many people that I knew, fr old friends and even strangers said, oh my gosh, there's kids sleeping on the floor. How can I help? What can I do? What can I bring? And right then I thought, wow, there's that many people that want to help. Maybe, we, maybe we're onto something here. But really, Hugh, what, what struck me the most and changed my heart the most is when I actually did deliver my first bed. I call it my Haley story. And Haley, Haley was a six-year-old girl that had been sleeping in the backseat of her mom's car since she was born. Never had a bed, never had a bedroom, really rough conditions. Um, I found out about her through another friend of mine who'd been working with the family and finally got a home for him. So they had a house. Um, and, and when I walked into this house, uh, I, you know, I've seen poverty before, you know, I've seen homelessness before, but to see poverty like that um, in the eyes of a six-year-old was, I had never done that before. It was, it was a perspective I've never seen. Um, and, and the house, the only thing in the house was a hot plate sitting on a milk carton uh, with a can of soup on it. And, and that was that night's dinner. There was no table or chairs or couch or anything like that. But this little girl was so excited that we were there and that she had a room. She had a bedroom of her own. Um, so she, she showed us her bedroom. And uh, you can imagine what it looked like. Um, you know, holes in the carpet and wallpaper ripped and, you know, secondhand toys sitting in the closet. But really what was the most shocking, and we see this almost every day, is in the corner of her room was this pile of clothes. It was a nest. And I quickly realized that's where she slept. So little Haley would come home from school, take her school clothes off, put her pajamas on, sleep on her school clothes, and, and then the next morning put them back on and go to school. So it was really shocking to me that this is the happy, this happy child was living in these conditions. So I was really excited to bring her a bed. And as we brought in the pieces and started putting them together, you know, she started realizing what it was because we didn't tell her, you know. Um, and as we put this together and she realized, oh my gosh, this is a bunk bed, she just erupted. She started hugging us, hugging the bed, started kissing the bed, which I'd never seen that before. That's how happy this, that's how happy this little girl was. And then to look up and see her, the mom, you know, 
I was raised by a single mom too. I know the struggles that that mom and a parent myself, but knowing the struggles that that mom had to, had to face and had to been through and the worry over six years of trying to find comfort and security for her six-year-old daughter was just pouring down her face in tears, realizing that, you know, at least this part of life for her worry and this part of life for her daughter was now taken care of. And I realized right then, Hugh, this is, it was far more than just a bed. It was far more than just a good night's sleep. You know, this was this was building confidence in the family, togetherness in the family, relieving stress for the parent. Um, you know, the, the child could now have a sleepover. It couldn't have that before, you know. Um, and I remember driving home that night with my with my buddy Jordan Allen, uh, just thinking we had about a half hour drive home, really didn't say much to, to each other, just so overcome with what we just experienced. Uh, the thought came to me, I said, you know, for the few hours a night this last week that, you know, a couple of nights this last week that it took to build that bed to solve that problem, that was well worth my time. And right then I said, no kid's going to sleep on the floor in my town if I have anything to do with it. And so we went back and decided, you know what, I'm going to go to Lowe's. I'm going to see how much wood I can buy and how many beds I can build. And Lowe's, our national sponsor, was so supportive. Um, we were able to build instead of two bunk beds that year, we built 11 bunk beds or 22 kids that year before Christmas got beds. And quite often there was many times that that bed was the only Christmas gift that they got that year. So right then it changed my heart and I knew it's something um, I wanted to continue to do. I just didn't know how big the problem really was. That is a touching story. So you had this idea and you just founded the nonprofit and it was an immediate success or was there some work behind the scenes to make this thing fly? Just a, just a, just a scooch you, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I had no idea. I mean, I knew what a charity was. I knew what a nonprofit was, had knew, no idea what a 501c3 was, <laughs> you know, and it wasn't actually until a couple of years later that we filed. In fact, it was just going to be a Christmas project. And, and I remember my wife at the time said, you know, well, you got to call it something. And I said, well, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, how about beds for babes? That sounds good. <laughs> and uh, it, it, it's not a good Google search. <laughs> so we, we quickly abandoned that. And, you know, being Christmas and silent nights, such a good hymn and, you know, uh, sleep in heavenly peace really just resonated with what we wanted to leave with the family. And so that's what stuck. And that was just going to be a Christmas project between me and a couple of friends and um, over the next couple of years. But we quickly found out that, A, the need was much larger than we thought. We got more people asking for beds than we realized. And we had more people wanting to help, not just physically, but also financially. And that's when we learned, man, if you were a nonprofit, we could write this off and we could give you a, a grant. And so begrudgingly, I wanted to do a, a nonprofit, but I didn't want to do this, you know, one of those pie in the sky nonprofits that you donate to and you have no idea where your money goes. Um, I wanted to make sure it stayed in the community. And so we set up um, the nonprofit in 2014, two years later. Um, and, and really that it was just me and a couple of buddies um, that started it and, and ran it for you know, a couple of three or four years and, and three years after we, we started it uh, or filed for the nonprofit, we quickly realized that this cannot be more than just a 
a one-time Christmas build where we build, you know, 30, 40 beds, the need was much larger. And we had a lot more um, response of people that wanted to help. So we started building more during the year. And 2015, we actually had like 15 builds and built 160 beds. So it was really neat experience. But it was in 2018 when we were, uh, we were, a film crew came in from um, New York um, and it was a little Facebook watch series. It's no longer on Facebook watch, but it was a series called returning the favor. And it was hosted by uh, none other than Mike Rowe, dirty jobs, Mike Rowe. And once that aired, we were season two, episode nine, February of of 18, it aired and we were viewed by 10 million people. And we went from the over the over the past seven years of, of about nine chapters to where we are today, which is 350 chapters. 350 chapters. Now, where do you build the beds? All of these chapters, or do you build them in, in Charlotte? No, we build them all, all uh, individually. So the way it works is <clears throat> when a chapter, when someone wants to start a chapter in their own area and become and then goes through the training program. They become a chapter president and their responsibility is just threefold, raising money, building beds and deliver beds. We teach them how to build the beds. We have special jigs. The same bed is built in California as it is in Maine, Florida, Bahamas, Canada. It's the same design. So it's very simple. And we we teach the chapter presidents to use volunteers in the community to build these beds. So corporations can use this as a team building exercise to come in, whether you have 10 people or 200 people. We put them to work and we take raw wood and we cut raw wood that we buy from Lowe's into beds and we make them in the matter in just a matter of hours, 30, 40 beds in just a few hours. You know, then we store these pieces and um, and then anybody that knows of a family, maybe has kids of their own or their sister three states away or whatever, they can go to shpbeds.org and apply for that child. Ages three to 17 is really only the requirement that and they need a bed. Um, once, once they enter the information of where the child lives based on zip code, it goes to the chapter president that has accepted that zip code as a deliverable area. And if he's got it, then the chapter president can call the family and schedule a delivery. So that's, that's a, the gist of how we go from raw wood, involving the community, building these beds, people, how they apply, um, and then how it gets delivered. And, and, and I was really proud of the fact that when we when we started this again, we wanted to make sure that everybody knew that dollars, that's important in a nonprofit, that it stays in the community. Um, you know, so now people, when they go to our website, you can donate money directly to whatever chapter you desire. And, and the money stays there uh, in that chapter. All the beds that we build stays locally. So that's the way with 350 chapters building beds all, you know, all the time. That's how we can we can do what we do, which is uh, about fifty thousand beds a year. That's a big deal. So you're the largest nonprofit bed maker in the world. We are, yeah. In fact, it was in two thousand fourteen, well, thirteen, really, before we were a charity. I wanted to see what other charities did this and kind of get some ideas of how to run a charity, blah blah blah. Well, I went to the internet and I couldn't find anybody. In fact eventually I did find one charity that was registered and shockingly it was in Charlotte called beds for kids. And they, they were, they were providing beds as well. It was the only charity I knew about. And so um, knowing and seeing how big the problem is, 
um, I, I was shocked by that. So we we quickly you know started this charity, and as it's as it's grown, you know other charities build one maybe two thousand beds a year. You know we're we're going to be approaching fifty thousand beds plus this year for a total of almost we're 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 getting close to about two hundred thousand beds that we've built so far. So what percentage of the population of children don't have a bed? So this is a funny, it's a funny question simply because the answer to that um, is greater than 3%. Why do we know that? Really, there's no statistic out there that knows uh, how bad child bedlessness is. Um, it's a very unknown thing. And, and child bedlessness affects not just poverty level, anybody. Uh, we've seen in houses that either have burnt down, you know, parents either divorce or, or have a, a crisis in the family, uh, financially lose a job. You know, it, it, it doesn't know economics. It just knows um, hardship and in whatever form that comes in. And so child business, that number is really only, we only came up with that number based on sleep and heavenly pieces, um, you know, applications given a certain population on average. So I tell people it's 3%, but it's it's greater than 3% that we know of, which is over 10 million kids in our country are sleeping on the floor, which is terrible. They have no bed. Who would have thought? You know, we think about other, other issues with poverty, but not having a bed, that's a third of your life you spend in your bed. Absolutely. So that's that's just quite remarkable. So well, and you've got and you've got so many other social um, impacts, behavioral impacts, school impact, things of that nature that come from poor sleep, lack of sleep. There's a lot of study that's been done on sleep and we're gathering even more and more studies and even the result of our outcomes um, after a child's been, it, been in a bed for, for several, even just several months, but several years, just, just to see their, their behavioral changes, their, their grade attention, um, uh, you know, social interactions with other with other people um, other kids especially um, it's just it, it, it's a leg up for these kids that would otherwise have have struggled you know um, back in you know 20 years ago or 10 years ago when when we weren't around and this and this issue was so unknown and hidden there was millions of kids just sleeping on the floor uh, and and have been for years I've I delivered many a bed to a teenager who's never slept on a bed, never. Oh my goodness. It's, it's a shock, it, it's, you know, it's funny. Well, it's not funny, Hugh, when I tell people what I do, I usually get two reactions. I get, well, it's not that big of a problem because I haven't heard about it. And I, and I just tell people, trust me, I hadn't either, but I'm telling you right now, someone that does it 24 seven, it is a huge problem. And the second thing I, I get is, well, it's not in my town. And I guarantee you, 3% of the total population, if you're in a population of 100,000 people, you got 3,000 kids that are either sleeping on the floor or sleeping in multiple multiple kids to a bed with their parents, air, air mattresses, couches. You know, they don't have a bed of their own. So 3% is of the total population or the population of children? To total population. And thanks for clarifying that. That is important to know. It's total population. So if I live in a city of 100,000, there's 3,000 children with no beds. That's absolutely right. That's, that's stunning. Well, uh, I, Twin Falls, Idaho is where I'm from. 
the Twin Falls, the Magic Valley area, which comprises of, you know, several other towns. Um, it's, it's about 60,000 people, 60, 70,000 people. We've been there since, since 2012 when it started, delivered a thousand bunk beds and we still get applications um, all the time. And, and there's still even people and agencies that don't even know that this is available. And that's this, that's the founding town, you know, so it's, it's such so unknown, even to the agencies that that work with kids, whether it's foster care or child support services, or protective services, or, or whatever it is, these agencies, um, we like to work with because uh, they don't know about us and finding a bed for a child, uh, especially transitioning homelessness, you ask any of those transitioning homelessness service providers, finding a bed for a child is one of the hardest things um, that, that, that they have to do. And quite frankly, it's one of the bigger costs uh, because they can't find anything, anybody to donate or, or, or have available. They have to purchase. How, how do parents who cannot afford a bed for their children, how do they find out about you and apply for a bed? Absolutely. So right now, if, if you're one of those parents or know of one of those parents, you can go to shpbeds.org. That's Sam, Harry, Paul, beds.org. Um, and on the top of the banner, it says apply for a bed. And you can click on that and apply for uh, yourself. You can apply for uh, your, your neighbor or your sister three states over. And if that zip code where that child lives has an active chapter that has accepted that zip code, then they'll get in, uh, in contact with them. You know, and, and I tell people, keep in mind, our chapters, it is not unheard of that our chapters have two, three, four hundred kids on their waiting list and they have 50 beds. You know, it's a 100% volunteer organization on the chapter level. These chapter presidents are there just to have the goodness of their own heart. Their core team members there to help. They do the best that they can. But it's such a big problem and such a, I mean, it's its so overwhelming at times that, um, you know, the, the, the application process seems endless. Uh, but we we tell and, and encourage people, don't give up on us. You know, there we, we, there is a lot, a big line there. Uh, but we we do our best to try to um, uh, satisfy those needs, especially the ones that are really dire straits. I'll give you a great example, Hugh. You know, one of my favorite stories is, you know, foster care was always an issue. Um, well, it's, it's an issue, an issue in, in in every town in America. Um, and but one of the one of the big issues, unknown issues, is when you have. Uh, a couple of kids, like this situation was, um, their parents were out of the picture, grandparents couldn't take them, they entered the foster care system, the only people they know in the planet or, or close by is each other. And the judge gave the foster family 24 hours to find a bed, or else these two kids would have to be split up. And luckily, luckily, the social service agency and, and representative that was in there had heard about Sleep and Emily Peace, she gave me a call and in 12 hours, there was a bunk bed and uh, well, two separate beds in that home. And that's just an exa one example of how it's just more than a good night's sleep. It keeps families together. Um, uh, and But the biggest thing is it's just so unknown. And that's where we knew that our mission statement is no kid sleeps on the floor in our town. We solve two problems. We solve childlessness, but we also solve that need for the community that those people that really want to give back, they just don't know how, you know, and, and if child providing a bed for a child is something that you're interested in, 
you know, we wanted to provide a platform for people to be involved. And now that mission statement is, is meant to be said by the volunteers. It's meant to be said by the community. No kid sleeps on the floor in our town. We just want our town to be your town. So when you go to the website, um, you'll find out um, about that. There's a place to apply for a bed. There's also a place to volunteer. And I heard you say that all of your 350 chapters are run by volunteers. Mm -hmm. That's right. Correct. So volunteer somewhere near you. It's S-H-P, Sleep Heavenly Peace, uh, beds, plural, B-E-D-S dot org. And you can find it there. And uh, tell us about um, returning the favor. <laughs> Oh, if you don't know who Mike Rowe is, you've been living under a rock. <laughs> no, Mike Rowe is the dirty jobs guy. Um, very, it's an amazing American. Um, the, the guy uh, was approached by a company called Hudson Media about this new concept of recognizing charities and people, individuals that are just doing good in their communities. They call them do-gooders. And, and kind of the backstory there a little bit, Mike told me that, you know, he kind of changed the idea. He wanted this show to be something that was really ongoing, kind of, kind of like live TV almost, um, very little editing. He wanted it to be real and raw, uh, but he wanted to make it a surprise. And so they would go and tell these, these honorees, if you will, that they were there doing some other shoot or they were covering some other uh, magazine or, or article. And then all of a sudden Mike Rowe popped in and then they would present them with something. And, and our situation was the same. I had no idea Mike Rowe was going to be there. I didn't know what the, what the program was or what was going on. I just knew that people were coming in to do an interview about on this kid from Idaho that was going to be on some sort of online internet magazine. Well, I turn around and Mike Rowe standing behind me and, and it was really surreal. You know, I love Mike Rowe. It's really surreal moment. And one of the biggest um, things that, that we were in need of at the time, you know, this is five years ago was we didn't have a warehouse or at least we, we had this kind of bunker, if you will, that we built beds with, uh, you know, I told people I had to kind of build the bathroom cause it was, wasn't working. You had to do your business in a bucket and all that jazz. Um, but we, 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 we may do well, their give to us was a huge one. They gave us $120,000 worth of rent. So three years worth of rent on a, on a brand new facility. And because of that, and because of how they blasted across the country, we were able to find all these good doers, just like, just like the, had the same passion I did and others that wanted to do what we do in their own hometown. And so we quickly Put together a training program where people can learn how to how to how to do exactly what we do you don't have to worry about filing for an, uh, a 501c3 we take care of all of that for them they just get to go do the fun stuff which is build and deliver beds for their community um, and that just that blew up all over the all over the country so it was a big it's a big shout out to to returning the favor and, and their main purpose was to try to inspire other people to do exactly what these guys do and we're really honored they they did their 100th episode and this is an academy award-winning um uh program they did their 100 episodes and they they showed and forecast all 100 episodes and their top episode um was sleep in heavenly peace simply because 
we were able to expand and grow and provide this service to others um, across the country. And that's what they really wanted to do. So it was, it was big. Returning the favor was big for us. Man, I've been touched in this short time we've been together. And uh, as we're ending up, I'm going to do a, um, a commercial for our community, but I'm going to ask you to come back and what would you want to say to people that are watching? What do you want them to do as a result of seeing this? But before that, a Center Vision Leadership Foundation, I founded it because there was a big gap in what leaders need. Leaders need content. They need camaraderie. They need a network. They need some kind of support they don't have. So I founded the Center Vision community, and it's uh, Center, It's that's the name of it. You can find it by going to nonprofitcommunity.org, nonprofitcommunity.org. And you can join for free. Once you get in there and you get connected and you want to be in in-person meetings, you can step up your membership and pay some money for it. But let's get started. Let's get to know each other. Let's see how we can help each other because there's a lot of work to be done in many, many areas. And if you haven't been inspired by Luke's story today, Come on, let's get inspired because there's lots more we can do as leaders. We've been called to a vision and there's a lot more to making it happen. And Luke, you've done an awful lot in a short period of time. So hats off to you for sticking with it and learning and rallying the troops. So what do you want to leave people with today? Well, thank you. Um, you know, exactly what you just said. We, we want to inspire. I hope to inspire people to get up and do something you know, just like I did, I, I call it, I did a TED talk on tiny moments because we all have them. We all have these little tiny moments or inspirations for us to do something, whether it's helping a little lady across the street or, or volunteering at your local food pantry or whatever, these tiny moments, we act on them. We just don't understand the impact, although hidden most of the time from our eyes, the impact that we really have, maybe on just one individual or on 50,000 kids a year. You just don't know what would happen and you'll never know until you act. And so I just encourage everybody, just get up and do something, move, um, act on those tiny moments. You're talking to a farm kid from Idaho that felt a little lost in the world. And all he, all he did was get up off the couch to build one bed for a kid. And now we're looking at an organization that's nationwide, builds 200,000 beds, almost 200,000 beds so far. Um, and really on the backs of volunteers like yourselves. If Sleep in Heavenly Peace is something that you're interested in doing, learn about us at our website. You can start a chapter in areas that, that we don't have chapters in or find a local chapter, support them either financially or, or, or learn how to build beds with them and deliver them. It'll, it'll change your heart like it changed mine. And that's really the, the message I want to leave with everybody. Thank you for being our guest today, Luke Mickelson. Your vision has come true, and I can't wait to see what the next chapter is going to be. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.